I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmine Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Terry Cole, a licensed psychotherapist, global relationship and empowerment expert, and the author of the book, Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. For over several decades, Terry's worked with a diverse group of clients and includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and more. She's got a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable. And I just absolutely love her work. I've been following her on Instagram for a long time. So I'm so excited to have her on the show. Uh, So welcome to the show, Terry. Well, thanks for having me, Yasmeen. I'm psyched to be here. (laughs) Likewise. So Terry, to kick it off, uh, in your book, you talk a lot about boundaries, and I think this topic has become really popular, um, especially over the last couple of years, more in the mainstream. Uh, and when I was growing up, I mean, this is not something that a lot of people spoke about, but it's so necessary now to really understand it. So can you talk to us at a high level, like what are boundaries and how can we create healthy boundaries? Well, the way that I describe them, it's basically think about it like your own personal rules of engagement. Our boundaries are to let others know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. So your boundaries, according to me, are broken up in your preferences, your limits, and your deal breakers, like the non-negotiable things in your life and in your relationships. And then the the how to establish clear boundaries, is that part of this question? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's there, There's a whole process with boundaries, which is why I wrote a whole book on it, that we have to know our preferences, our limits, and our deal breakers. Because it's one thing to know them, so that's the first step. But then we need to have the ability to clearly and transparently communicate them. And where I find... So many of my therapy clients and people in my courses have difficulty is the translation from, I know it in my mind, but how do I say it 
and feel empowered or feel like I have a right to say it in my relationships. Got it. So actually, I think that this first part is super interesting because I think a lot of people probably don't actually know what their limits are, maybe what their values are and what they stand for. So uh, do you coach people on that first part or is this something that folks need to kind of spend some time in self-inquiry? You know, this is a part of the way that I break it down in Boundary Boss is we always start with you, right? Everything begins and ends with you, everything in your life, everything that you create. It's all about your relationship to yourself. So much of the time, clients would be so busy in life and checking boxes and, you know, doing all the things that we do, right? All the emotional labor, all of the working. Many of us are mothers and caregivers for aging parents and have massive careers as well. And all of that, you have to slow down enough to look at how you feel about what's happening in your life. And so in the beginning of the book, the first exercise I have you do is this massive list, which is called the okay and not okay list in every area of your life, from the really big things to like the really small things, because most of us never even stop to think about those things. And that is the beginning, is where are you unhappy? Like, where do you feel dissatisfied? in your life, because that's probably where you need a boundary. We also, if we want to do it sort of more quickly, we can look at like what needs your attention more urgently would be, I have my clients and people in my courses and in the book, I have you do a resentment inventory because so much of the time where we're feeling resentment is where a boundary is being violated, either one that we have established with words or one we've just thought about and think the other person should know, but we haven't actually told them, or we're, we're not getting a need met in some ways. So right now, anyone listening, you can think about where are you holding on to resentment and for whom, and that would be a good place to start. Mm, interesting. And in terms of being able to like deliver the boundary, like via kind of a communication, like how does that work? Cause I think a lot of people maybe struggle with communicating their boundaries, um, and, you know, it's funny cause I used to live in New York and I think New Yorkers, I think don't have as diff- big of a difficulty with <laughs> stating their boundaries. And I think folks in California and I'm, of course I'm just speaking generally, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sort of curious, you know, where do people struggle with, um, with communicating and how can they communicate, especially if they find, let's say fear, fear around communicating their boundaries? Well, why don't we start with why we struggle? Because it's so important to understand because so many of my clients were like self-blaming, you know, like what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? I should do this. I'm grown up. What's the deal? We, most of us were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents, right? This is how we were raised in life, be incredibly self-sacrificing, do for others, right? It's better to do for others than to do for yourself. Um, Be nice. How important, how many, who was not raised to be, if you're a woman, to be a good girl, right? If you identify as female, most of us were raised to be good, quote unquote. And that means to be perceived as being nice. And that's not about asserting yourself. That's about complying with others. And so by the time someone gets into my therapy office or into one of my courses, they're not even sure 
about what they want. What they really want is to not have conflict, many people. What they really want is to not have any problems, to not have to confront someone, to not have to have hard conversations. And so in the avoidance of those things, there is a lot of self-abandoning and there are no boundaries. So it's not at all surprising that people find this very hard to do, so much so that I wrote an entire book about it. Like that That's how many people in my therapy practice over the past 25 years <laughs> had no friggin' idea what a boundary was or how to communicate them. So we start with the why it's hard because you're a human and this is the way you were raised. If you think about boundaries being fluent in the language of boundaries, just like being fluent in any other language, you wouldn't just know it because you want to. You really would need someone to teach you and most of us, nobody did teach us. And in fact, they told us, you know, they taught us the opposite. Super fascinating. And does that come from like early childhood kind of family mm-hmm. dynamics? Like wh- why would someone have difficulty in creating boundaries? Like how does that start? It's exactly what you said, Yasmin. It's, you know, family of origin stuff for sure. But the way that I teach it is like we all have our own unique downloaded boundary blueprint that is influenced by family of origin, country of origin, culture, family system, you know, what when you were born, if you're the oldest or the youngest. And we learn this. It's modeled behavior that we learn. So no one has to tell us. Right? We learn by osmosis as children. So when I say they're downloaded blueprints, it's like an architectural blueprint for a house, but that someone else designed maybe like centuries ago, and it just keeps getting handed down from generation to generation. So part of the beginning process, if you want to become more expert at setting healthy boundaries in your life and communicating effectively, is you really need to understand what is in that downloaded blueprint, because so much of these are like schemas in your unconscious mind of the way you're supposed to be. Fascinating, fascinating. Wow. And so um, what about, uh, maybe we could double click on a couple of these um, these mm-hmm. terms, because I think for some people it's new. We've got a pretty uh, wide ranging kind of audience from all different parts of the world. So the term enmeshment, um, <laughs> I think what's interesting about it is uh, from what I understand, you know, it's something that is also, you know, can be, can be part of this family system and dynamic between a parent and child. Um, and then it can also happen in your relationships later in life. So can you talk to what that enmeshment, what is enmeshment? Uh, why does it happen? And how can it affect your life and relationships? Well, enmeshment is not having appropriate boundaries, emotional or otherwise, in a family system. So it's like not having the right to be a separate individual than the whole, let's say. So if you have an enmeshed family system, that means there's a lot of group think. That means there's a huge identification with like, we are people that. And the the if you try to differentiate from that system, there will be punishment. So nobody wants to know what you think if you think something different than the system. And there's all kinds of loyalty issues that go along with this, where if you think differently than the the, the bulk of the system, then you are disloyal, right? So, so you learn not to speak up if you think differently. Um, you see this a lot with, you know, it can happen with parents and children where there's an enmeshment where the kid almost feels like an extension 
of the parent. We see this, especially with narcissistic parents, because they actually view the children, especially the golden child, as an extension of themselves. So they can take credit for what the kid does that's good. You know what I mean? Like there's no separation. It's not about, wow, you did good. It's like my son, because it's really about the parent. That is emotional enmeshment. Wow. And and how can you tell, you know, in your therapy, like if someone's not aware of that dynamic, <laughs> like what is what are some of the telltale signs of someone who's enmeshed with a parent? Well, it's it's all the same signs, a lot of it of codependency. If you are the one who's in the pleasing position or the overfunctioning position or the position of soothing the ego of the other, which would normally be the child to the parent, let's say, in that case, it's overfunctioning, overdoing, and having like being overly um, focused on the feeling states and outcomes of the other person. So in a healthy family system, it is child-focused, appropriately child-focused. So not obsessively child-focused, just appropriately. Like if the kid has a game where someone's going to take them to the game, right? Like we're going to make sure that there's food somewhere for that kid if they have a game at five o'clock. We're not just going to eat family dinner and make the kid walk home from the game normally. Um, in a family system, if you there are, you know, narcissistic, one of the parents is narcissistic, let's say, or drug addicted, or there's alcoholism, anything that makes um, a chaotic system, let's say, that system organizes around that person. Mm. So the child is indoctrinated into this behavior psychologically and the, the behaviors and beliefs. It's like how the other person feels is the only thing that matters. This is how a kid stays safe, right? You have less pain in your life if you are pleasing that parent who, if they're displeased, especially if there's addiction um, or narcissism, there'll be a lot of punishment that comes. And then, of course, look at how would that impact your life. Well, you become highly codependent and then you end up in relationships where you are basically obsessed with the other person and pleasing them, helping for them, over-functioning, over-giving, over-doing, enabling, under-functioning behaviors. And really, if we look at codependency, right, at the, at the base of codependency, of course, it's disordered boundaries because if you're codependent, you are overly invested in the other person. So right there, that's disordered boundaries. Um, but it's also a covert or overt bid for control because it's such a fear-driven experience. You don't want the parent to explode. So you are going to think of everything that they need or everything you should do, be a straight-A student, um, do well, bring accolades to the family or whatever it is so that you can avoid the wrath of that parent. And, and how does the wrath look like? Can it also be, you know, like with the word covert, like, you know, what's, oh, yeah, yeah, because I think in some cases, like for some family systems, it could be like very, what's the word? I, I'm, I'm losing <laughs> identification with the word, but you know what well, I mean? It's, like, it's no, I know exactly what you mean. You're saying it's, it can be subtle. It can be subtle. covert and, instead of overt and think about narcissism. There are overt narcissists which they're sort of the stereotypical, more braggart, more, you know, you know, amplifying their accomplishments, um, being competitive, wanting the attention on themselves, all of that, that's more of an overt narc. There are covert narcissists who are even more insidious and scary because they're really hard to 
uh, they're hard to identify, but they're the way that they torture the people in their life is very similar. It's just not as loud. So it can be subtle. The disapproving look, the I'm so disappointed in you, or I can't believe you wouldn't do this for me, or I can't believe you're you're killing me with dating that person that I don't like. You're going to ruin your life or your career or all of those things. But again, it's not about the kid. Mm. It's about that parent wanting control. So it doesn't always have to be physical abuse. It, It is almost always emotional abuse when it comes to narcissistic abuse, for sure, and verbal abuse. But again, it doesn't have to be loud. People can say the meanest things imaginable in a very calm and neutral voice, but it still does the same damage. Wow. Yeah. That's, I'm very fascinated by covert narcissism, you know, just like Mm -hmm. how, how much time it can take to really identify that. Right. You know, cause it does take a while to kind of realize you've been emotionally manipulated and controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a few narcs in my life and now I'm, it's pretty easy for me to identify them, um, just even energetically. Uh, but it, but it's something I never really understood growing up and probably had no understanding, um, you know, without really meeting one and, and having to kind of come to terms with, with what that was, that relationship was like. So fascinating. Uh, do you have any advice for folks who have a narcissist in their life who they can't, like, let's say a parent uh, or a coworker or, uh, you know, I've I've actually met a couple people who said that they were in relationships with narcissists, mm-hmm. which seems like pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I definitely do. And this is such a, um, this is so prevalent that I actually, one of the entire chapters in the book is about, I call them boundary destroyers, which is different than someone who might be a boundary bully, right? A boundary bully is someone who wants their way. They keep asking until you say yes, you know what I mean? Or or they guilt you, but, but they're like regular stuff. So I give you lots of ways of dealing with regular boundary bullies in the book and, you know, strategies and how to create a proactive boundary success plan, all of that. But none of that applies to boundary destroyers, which are basically narcissists or really difficult personalities. They can all fall into the, most of them will fall into the cluster B personality um, diagnoses in the, you know, DSM-5, which, you know, doctors and therapists use for diagnostic, as a diagnostic tool. Um, So it's not, the, the regular ways that we deal with people who um, are pushing the envelope with their boundaries is not the same. So in this chapter, and what I say to you, if you feel like you might be involved with an arc, you have a narcissistic parent or whatever, is that it's really all about becoming super aware of their playbook, all of the emotional manipulation techniques they use to get us under their spell and to continue being able to assert their control over us. So anything from love bombing, which a lot of people have heard of, it's been more popularized in the past five years, I'd say, where it's you're dating someone and everything is perfect and they're amazing and it's too good to be true. And they're like flying you to Paris for lunch and (laughs) sex is unbelievable. And they're talking about taking a vacation in two years from now and buying you expensive gifts and all of this stuff where you're like, oh my God, but it's a whirlwind. And it's a way that it gets your defenses down. And then you fall madly, deeply, wildly in love. 
They make you feel incredibly special and amazing. And then if the person is a narcissist, that will switch. There will be a moment where there'll be a devaluation Mm -hmm. of you. And then people who are victim to this just keep like romancing the highs, so to speak, of like, but it was so amazing. If I'm just good enough, or if I lose the weight, or if I just do what they want, then I'll get back to that amazing bliss that we were in. But love bombing is a way to get control over you. And you're never going back to that because it was all a manipulation technique to begin with, you know? So that's one thing. Um, You know, faux concern is another where they're like, you know, babe, I'm really worried about you. Like, I mean, if you're pointing out bad behavior on their part, they can use faux concern to knock you off your game. So you're like, like, why were you texting with your ex-girlfriend? And they're like, babe, I'm really worried about you. You know, I don't want to say anything. Bob said he was worried about you too. He noticed that you've been kind of off the rails lately. Are you okay? Mm. You see how fucking tricky that is? Pardon my French, but how (laughs) they're moving, they're moving the attention from their masters at manipulation. So they move the attention from what they did to what you did. And they do that with many different ways. So faux concern is just one way, but there's a whole bunch of other ways. Um, They take one thing, let's say they're like, hey, so, you know, my friend Beth wants us to, you know, have lunch on Friday. And you're like, okay. And then they're like, okay, so Friday we're leaving to go to somewhere for the four days to Beth's house. And you never agreed to it. And they're like, yeah, you said you would do it. You're like, no, I said yes to lunch, but they'll be like, no, that's not what happened. They will bold face, lie to your face. Don't care. Like any means necessary is a way that mm. we, we, we find that with narcissists, whatever they need to do to get you back in line, they will do. So the way that you can be most empowered, there's two things. One, be, become an expert on the manipulation tactics. You can go boundarybossbook.com, go get my book and look at chapter 10. It'll tell you all the things. And also there are other ways of stepping back. If you have a parent who's a narcissist and every time you tell them something great, they seem great, but eventually they're going to rain on that parade or eventually they tell something intimate that you talked about. They then will throw it up in your face to like use it against you, to mock you, to hurt your feelings. You have to remember that they're capable of that kind of emotional violence. And you have to step back and protect your most tender heart, even if it's from a parent. So in the book I talk about and I teach about the VIP section of your life, like not everyone should have a seat in the VIP section of your life, even if it's family, only emotionally trustworthy folks should be in there. But what most people don't realize is that you make the guest list, you're the only bouncer, and you're either putting up that rope or you're not. And most people don't even know they have a right to do that. So practically, what does that look like? It looks like not giving unfettered access to you and your life to someone who is untrustworthy. So step back, start training them that you're not going to keep your phone on all night long because they feel like calling you at two in the morning. Hey, turning off my phone at eight because I need to sleep, you know? So Terry, what happens when uh, someone finds out that like a parent or a, a friend or someone is a narcissist, but they like don't know how to set clear boundaries? I mean, like, does that happen often? I imagine that like mm-hmm. it's a muscle 
you know, that you kind of have to, it takes probably a while to develop that muscle and to also just sit with the discomfort of disappointing another. So mm-hmm. I, like, what are some of the, yeah, like what's sort of the time frame on how people can move out of it and what sort of, you know, yeah. What, what have you seen in, in terms of people's ability to kind of uh, respond to narcissism? Well, part of it is people want to deny it because it's very painful. So I think we we have to process, like learn everything there is to know about all the types of narcissism, because it's not just the obvious ones. There's there's other things as well. So do research and find out. And then you'll know. Even just look at the DSM-5, right? That's what it's called, Diagnostic Manual. This is the fifth edition. You can go online and be like, what is the criteria for a, nar- a diagnosis for narcissism? And look and see, is that your person? You know, because people can have narcissistic tendencies without being a diagnosable narcissist, but either way, you need to protect yourself. And then start stepping back energetically. Start being more mindful of how you're interacting with this person. Because if you find that you're always walking on eggshells, every relationship that you walk on eggshells a lot, you need to reassess and look at and go, okay, what is this about? But you have to be brave enough to choose you, right? You have to fall madly deeply in love with you. You have to realize that how you relate to yourself, how you think of yourself, that sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. So if you treat yourself like crap and you talk about yourself like crap and you have low self-assessment, you're going to continue to allow people to abuse you. You will attract people who agree with that low self-assessment. And if you do the work to fall madly and deeply in love with yourself, and that's internal work, that, that is being mindful, that is being you know, radically curious without judgment about why you are the way you are in the world and in your relationships. I know I teach all these techniques in the book, you know, and, and in the courses that I teach about how can we identify when are we just repeating these painful relationships? Because that is repetition compulsion. That is something that is just ingrained in human nature. I mean, Freud originated this theory, and I've expanded on it myself, and lots of other therapists have as well, in that we repeat dramatic and traumatic and painful things. That's just, we're trying to work it out. I think that's why. It's like the little kid in us wants to do over on something. But I can I can teach you a quick way to try to understand when you are in a repetition, which is ask yourself, who does this person remind me of? Ask yourself, where have I felt like this before? Ask yourself, why is this behavioral dynamic, basically the dance that we're doing, why is it, where have I seen it before? Have I been in it? Have I witnessed it? What does this remind me of? And you would be shocked at the data that will come up where you're like, oh my God, this is, I become, when I'm interacting with my girlfriend, boyfriend, person, I become my mother and my father and my boyfriend becomes, or my my girlfriend becomes my bully father. Holy crap. I'm playing out the dynamic of the adults who raised me in my relationships right now. Let me go back to the original injuries And work on them, meaning there is something, if we continue to repeat these um, 
dysfunctional relational patterns, that means there is something that needs our attention that is historical, right? There's something that is still sticky. So once you go, oh my God, I realized I'm playing this thing out. How did this impact me as a kid, right? Do I have memories of seeing this? Was it scary? Was it, what was it? So we just got to get in there with radical curiosity and self-compassion, right? But no judgment because this is this is the part that stops the growth is when we have all, we get into like a shame spiral about things that we've done or relationships that we've been in or crap that we've put up with, let's say, in our lives. And that usually then will have a step away from doing the work. And I just want to normalize that right now in this conversation, Yasmin, like, we, nobody, there's no like handbook to like be a human being in a healthy relationship. And most of us did not have good role models. I didn't, I don't know, maybe you did, but m- most of my clients, <laughs> nobody was like, this is how to have a healthy relationship. Like, or this is what boundaries are, or this is how to assert yourself in um, a self-empowered or self-embodied way. That wasn't what we learned. So really it's on us now because you don't learn it in school, not elementary, not advanced, nowhere. I, I got my master's degree to become a psychotherapist and I didn't learn it there. Hence why I wrote a book. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, nobody knows anything about boundaries. <laughs> so you can learn it though. So the good news is that even if you're listening to this and being like, oh my God, I'm a disaster. I was a disaster too. Wherever you are, if you, you're like, I'm literally a boundary disaster or I'm a relationship disaster or whatever, you're in the exact right spot in the exact right moment of your life, listening to this exact podcast to make a change. You can change your life. I help hundreds of zillions of people around the world do it all the time. So don't worry about what you don't know. Worry about how you're going to learn it. Powerful. Wow. Wow. And uh, what about... um... I also think it's interesting to understand like why these things occur, like why does narcissism occur and, you know, like, like, how does it happen? Do you, do you know like how it originates? Well, I mean, sure. There's different ways. There's different ways. I mean, sometimes it's like massive neglect in childhood creates that because at the base of a narcissist is like the most fragile sense of self. Like no, no no North Star, like no no discernible sense of self, which is why they need all this external stuff, which is why they're always stirring the pot, which is they need to feel alive by these negative interactions with other people. Um, it, it also could be having parents who told you you were friggin' amazing and you never did anything and people <laughs> like in a real way, right? Not, not just like everybody gets a gold star, right? That way too, I'm sure. But in a way of like, you know, you're Jesus Christ come again, but you don't know why. You don't feel that way. That can create some of this. I mean, listen, they say that, you know, psychopaths are born and narcissists are made. That That is the quote unquote conventional wisdom when it comes to therapy land. Um, you can also be raised by a narcissist. And let's say if you you know, if, if you feel very identified with that parent, you can take on those qualities. So uh, a narcissistic parent can create that because we end up a lot of times repeating things that we've seen, right? So either if you had parents and let's just say your mother was 
narcissist and your father was a victim of that, let's just say, if you had a traditional family, then you may become either, you may either victimize your your partners or you may be the victim. So it's either identifying with the victim or identifying with the aggressor is what we call it, right? It can be either or. But if you do work on it and you decode it and unpack it and understand it, then we find the healthy place, right? There's a sweet spot in between. But you have to want to do that. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different schools of thought about narcissists and what quote unquote creates a narcissist. But a lot of times it's neglect and abuse that creates a narcissist. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, So Terry, what about, okay, so we talked about like these kind of unhealthy dynamics. What about some of the ways that we can relate to each other in healthy ways in a relationship? And I say that also because coming out of the pandemic, I think it was a really hard time for a lot of people. A lot of us spent way too much time (laughs) with our with our partners, with our, you know, in some cases, families, a lot, some people spent a lot of time alone. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, what are some ways that people can relate to each other in healthy ways? And like, what have you seen coming out of the pandemic as well? Well, before the pandemic, I would say, and then, then I'll tell you my pandemic specific stuff is it's really about getting super clear about your relationship to yourself. That's the first relationship and the most important for you to be like, how is my self-esteem? How do I relate to myself? Do I need to get into therapy? Do I love myself? Do I feel good about myself? Because if we don't get that piece in place, we end up looking to others to fill up a bucket that only self-love can fill. So we set others up to fail. And we're endlessly disappointed because it's an impossible task. So that would be my first thought on healthy relationships is getting really clear about who we are, what makes us amazing, what are the things we want to work on, what are the things we don't like that we inherited, whether it's boundaries or whatever else, the way we're relating in the world, and do something to change that. Because I'm not one of those therapists who believes that, you know, your authentic self is, you're like, you know, we just got to peel back the layers of the onion and then there is going to be your fully formed authentic self. There are many choices you need to make and there's work you need to do if you want to become the person you want to become. I don't feel like it just happens. I don't feel like we're just born that way. It's not just nature and nurture, meaning parental nurture. It's self-nurture, making decisions because we all have crappy personality traits right? That we can say, well, it's just the way that I am. Well, or you could be different if you put in some effort. So that that's my thought about our relationship to self. The pandemic really was, you know, this collective pause that perhaps most of us would not have chosen. 98% of the people on planet earth would not have chosen this, right? Who goes to like the Himalayas for four months? Nobody. But, you know, to, to be like, I'm going to just learn about myself or really look at my life. Most of us use busyness to not look at the crap that's not working in our lives. But what I found from a therapeutic perspective is that there was no way when we were locked down and where regular busyness was not kind of available in the same way that people were just having, you know, the cracks that were already in relationships became super amplified. Um, and then you had other relationships that became 
super solid because you're like, okay, this is who we are under pressure. Wow. We're amazing. Like we are now bonded from this experience together. So it made a lot of people face their difficulty in talking true. You know, I, I had one of my, a quick story. I had a client who was drinking a lot more during the pandemic and high. So we're tons of people drinking, doing gummies, smoking weed, just being able to roll out of bed and brush one tooth and then hop on your <laughs> Zoom call rather than actually having to get up and do all the things you would normally do. People who tended to um, mood alter with substances, it was a little bit of a you know kid in a candy store moment where you're just like, it doesn't matter. And get up, drink my coffee on the thing. It's Everything is going to be fine. So she was drinking a lot. Um, had a very stressful situation and trying to do her job from home and a kid and her partner and all the things she had. And, you know, she kept wanting to focus on that. She wanted me to keep her accountable to not drink during the week, just drink on the weekends. And so like for the two weeks running, she came in and she's like, well, I failed again. You know, I did it Monday. And then by Tuesday, I was drinking my three big girl glasses of wine a night again. And so I was like, let me ask you something. <laughs> so what do you get to not face, not feel, not experience by getting more than a little buzzed every night of the week. And she was immediately said, the state of my marriage. I was like, oh, so we should be talking about the state of your marriage then. And what I just shared with listeners is those are the questions. They're called secondary gain questions that you can ask yourself anytime you're stuck in behavioral patterns that you don't like. Like maybe you say, I'm going to, I'm going to get healthy and fit. And then you never do. You're going to ask yourself, what do I get to not face, not feel, not experience by not doing that, right? This is internal boundaries we're talking about when we fall down on ourselves a lot, make promises we don't keep to ourselves. That is having disordered internal boundaries. And you will you will get the unobvious gain. That's what secondary gain means, right? We go to the gym. The obvious gain is because we want to be healthier. Let's say um, secondary gain is not obvious because most of us want to get unstuck when we're stuck. So you can put these secondary gain questions like in your back pocket. And when you find yourself in a situation like my client found herself in, she wanted to blame herself. She was too weak. If she had more discipline, she'd be able to stop drinking, all those things. And I was like, it's not that. You're like incredibly successful. Like I knew it wasn't a discipline problem. It was a different problem. And it was immediately revealed when she answered the secondary gain questions. And she was not the only client I had or when people in my groups and whatever that were going through this experience where it was so painful to face the things that they had swept under the carpet for so long, but the pandemic just made it that they couldn't avoid it anymore. Now that particular client ended up getting a divorce or filing for divorce is in the process now, but I've had, a, I had other clients who, when their secondary game was revealed, it gives you the ability to sort of course correct. And she did too. She was no longer drinking three huge glasses of wine a night because she was now dealing with what was actually happening. Because really, as humans, we can only talk it out or act it out. Mm, I love that. We can only either talk it out or act it out. Wow. 
So uh, you, you talk a lot about knowing yourself and doing a lot of like self-inquiry and really practicing this self-love, which I think a lot of people just, you know, have not learned growing up. And I think we're so, we're in a culture where there's so much busyness, right? From the moment, you know, we start going to school uh, up until the point where adults, like it seems like we don't really have moments where we can sink into the work, you know, other than maybe places like therapy or retreats or vacation, so I, you know, I'm curious, like, how do you coach people to sort of um, to, to cultivate like self love and self trust and safety in oneself? Oh, part of it is to treat yourself the same exact way, with the same love and compassion that you would treat a child that you adore or your best friend. Like we usually have two sets of rules. Rules for ourselves. We're way more caustic and punitive usually. And then rules for others. So it's creating that kind of a loving relationship with yourself. If you find yourself, you know, self-recrimination about decisions you've made, stop. Be aware enough to go, hey, if this were my best friend, would this be the language I'd be using? Or would I say, hey, babe, you did the best you could with what you knew at the time. Let it go. It's in the past. What's most important is that we learned something from it and now we're doing better, right? You would not be like you're an idiot to your best friend. So for, first step is at the very least, treat yourself as well as you would the people that you love the most. That alone will change your life. I don't necessarily think it's about, could be a mani, could be a facial, but it's really not about that. It's about how do you talk to yourself? Do you know what you want in life? Can you prioritize how you feel? Do you share how you feel? Or do you, are you constantly taking one for the team, quote unquote, so that you don't have to have hard conversations? And if that's the case, then what you know is you know you need to learn how to have what you think are hard conversations. That means hiring someone, getting into therapy, reading my book, I mean, there's, there's so much out there to help you. I don't know that you need to do a retreat. I think they're great. If you can, sure. But these are daily things. Like you don't want to read a book, listen to the audio of the book because it's a step-by-step -step process. And some people write books where it's like, just open it up and inspiration will come to you. That's not my book. My book is start here, then next, then next, then next, then next. Because no matter where you are, what level of evolution you're at, the steps are the same. Powerful. Wow. Powerful. Uh, so uh, Terry, I know that we're unfortunately coming at time. I have so many more questions, um, <laughs> but this has been so incredible and enlightening. Um, what sort of things have surprised you the most since you've been on this journey? How many people are affected by this? <laughs> I mean, how many people like from, I can't even tell all over the globe. People are reaching out to me everywhere, United Arab Emirates, Egypt, uh, I mean, Panama, Spain, e everywhere, saying, oh my God, it's like, I feel like you wrote this book for me. I feel like you are, the stories you share, like, that's my life. I'm still going through that, you know, and, and the hope. And maybe that's what I learned the most was how incredibly like there is so much hope because people just from reading the book, people are transforming because you're transforming what you're thinking about, the way you are thinking 
of things. I actually have a gift for your audience because I feel like the thing that people struggle with the most with boundaries is codependency. So it's about boundaries and codependency. So you can do a deeper dive there and they can get it at boundaryboss.me forward slash awakening. And what is, what is it that they get? Uh, is it? It's a video and an integration, like a, an exercise, a whole bunch of steps that you can take to have a deeper understanding of how codependent you are in life, because that'll give you a place to start. Can you repeat the link again? Sure. It's boundaryboss.me forward slash awakening. Okay, great. We'll have to add that to the show notes. So for folks listening, you can take, I guess it's a quiz or... No, this is actually a video. They're just going to, it's like a lesson. So it's just me teaching you how to do it. And I do have, a, actually, I do have an amazing quiz. If people want to know what their boundary archetype is, they can go to um, boundaryquiz.com. Boundaryquiz.com. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for doing this work, Terry. This is this is so powerful for a lot of people. And, um, you know, who has inspired you on this path? Is there anyone that, that you kind of... Um, you know, find inspiring or, or that's kind of guided you on this journey or has it been mostly kind of a self-paced journey? Well, I, I, there are certainly people in my life. Deepak Chopra has been a mentor. Um, Dr. Harriet Lerner's work has been extremely instrumental in my own work. Um, Esther Perel is a friend, but her work is still, you know, she, she, she wrote um, Mating in Captivity and State of the Union and She's so, she is such an expert at relational stuff. Um, there's, there's so many amazing therapists out there, but those are the ones that have been, I would say, instrumental in my own healing besides the early therapists that I had, which I write quite a bit about in the book because I started therapy when I was 19 and I'm still in it now and I'm not 19 anymore. Um, <laughs> decades later, those early therapists really changed the trajectory of my life without a doubt. Wow. And what do you, what do you want to say is like your main uh, takeaway? Like, what do you want to tell our audience about? Could be like about relationships or codependency or, you know, boundaries, but what's kind of like your main call to action? Uh, you can do this. Like, it doesn't matter where you are, no matter how trapped you feel, I promise you, you can do this. People in worse situations have done it. You can do it. So just stop thinking about how you can't and just very slowly every day take one step towards your dreams, even if it's just reading one chapter, one page of a book, doing one thing, because this is your one and only life this time around. Right? Maybe there's multiple lives, we don't know. But this time around, like we're not in a dress rehearsal, not to quote Cher, but like we're live people. It is now. And you deserve to be seen, heard, known, because that is the only way, right? Being authentically seen, heard, and known is the only way anyone will or can authentically love you. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful, Terry. And where can people find you? What's uh, the link? Um, and where can they find your books? Sure. Go to boundarybossbook.com to get the book. And you can get the book anywhere. But then if you go there, you'll get all of the, I still have a million bonuses for people because I love it. Um, my website is terrycole.com. I hang out mostly on Instagram, um, at terrycole. So yeah, I will see all of you on the interwebs. Thank you so much for all your time. Yes, I appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you so much, Terry. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learn about codependency, narcissism, and creating healthy boundaries with Terry Cole. You can tune into Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.